podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Oh, here it goes. Hello. Why would you spit in the mic? I don't get it. Talk now. Can you introduce the podcast so we can fucking start talking, please? Like I can't hear nobody. Change the settings on your... F- no, I just did. Hold on. So how could you hear You can hear me. You can oh, hear me. I couldn't, I couldn't. No, I can hear you now because I've just changed it. Hold on. One sec, one sec, one sec. <laughs> this guy is going to leave I was going to punch my laptop. This is the only one I have. All of this is staying in. All of it staying in? Bro, what are you doing? Start. What? what, like, what? You're just looking at offices. No, 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 no. I'm in now. I'm in now. Boom. Pause. No pause. Fuck that. Fast forward only. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> you're pissing me off. Can you just start this podcast? Oh, my God. <laughs> Welcome to... Popcorn. Uh, welcome to Played in Full, part of the Touchline Media Group. We are Popcorn Fracker. You, you know, I fucked, you it, fucked, it. You fucked it all. You just fucked it all. You just fucked it all. I'm so hot and I'm so irritable, and you're just fucking it. That's what I do. Anyway, okay. Now we welcome. Need script. I haven't got the script because I, I was panicking. I was Go panicking. your phone and type welcome. All right. Welcome to Played in Full, part of the Popcorn Fracker family in the Touchline Media Group. My name is CJ Edwards, and I am joined by my three co-hosts. I guess I'm Scully. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna jump in here because you he didn't really give us an order in which to introduce ourselves. There you go. Yeah, I've been away. I've been away. I've been in three different countries. I've been living life. I've been in the sun, checking out some foreign cinema. I guess we'll talk about that in a little bit. But um, yeah. I'm glad to be back. Well, actually, I'm not glad to be back currently, but I'm sure when like, when the episode is done, I'll feel a lot happier about being back. Did I piss you off that much? I'm just already irritable, and you're just not making anything easier. All right, sorry. Um, I'm I'm, I'm overworked, guys. Um, I feel like I've been. It's in the not even you talking. Can you get listen? We're still anyway, everyone else. Anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> above me, above me, um, is. A guy with some very nice dreads. His name is Jude. Oh, safe, safe, man. I thought you were scrolling in your brain, like looking for something offensive to say. No, so no, no. Landed no. on something like complimentary. So never, 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 never. How are yeah. you, Jude? I'm all right. I'm all right. Um, no, I'm just. Yeah, I'm level. I'm just here, innit? Cool. Yeah, you know when you're like on the long part of a level where you're like you're constantly doing the same things and it's getting repetitive and you're grinding you're gaining minimal experience but you're gaining i'm like there right now i'm looking to just finish this level and move to the next team i hear it i hear it even baby help me walk a couple meters brother yeah man it's life cool and then thirdly well lastly our other co-host our resident white boy our resonant white boy. He looks about 10 years younger today because he shaved his moustache. No Mr. Mustache. Ross Taylor. No moustache. Why, no why, why the shave? Because it is unbearably hot and it's just a lot of effort to try and just keep a moustache in check and just incredibly sweaty. 
and it's just cool. not worth it. It's just not worth the hassle. <laughs> it's just easier to clean shave. Cool. It's, um, it's true. It's nice to have you and Scully back. Although CJ, you're definitely bringing the chaos back. Yeah, but that's that's what I'm about, man. I'm about the chaos in the front. Can I just say, Jude is ruining the um. We could have went for all clean shaven look right now, but Jude's ruining wow. it because he's got um, got a tash. I'm just this, um, I'm just more like this. This this the thing is about my moustache. Yeah, it just it's like default. I could shave it off in two days. This I look like Homer Simpson. You get it? I've got that that shadow. So, ah, okay. It's not my fault. Is that is that Nigerian blood? He's not even Nigerian. Oh, crazy! Wait, start this episode again. <laughs> Don't start it again. Anyway, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so, what, what's on the agenda today, boys? What are we talking about today? This guy, man. This fucking guy. Am I right? This fucking guy. You're the funniest person ever. Um, you're you're yeah. just hilarious. Wait, I can't wait for the Twitter people to be like, this boy is causing just You're a xenophobe. <laughs> you're a xenophobe. But yeah, while I was away, yeah, can I just put out something I noticed while I was in Paris? So obviously, if you guys didn't notice, I wasn't here last week. If you didn't notice, that's actually kind of me. But yeah, I was away. And um, I noticed while I was in Paris, the spread of films that were in the cinema that I'd never heard of, that were clearly exclusively French, and I didn't notice it so much in Lisbon. Like, I feel like when I was in Lisbon, there was like Avengers, Infinity War was on the TV, and they were advertising all these films in the hotel that were like Amsterdam and like films that had just got major releases in the last six months here, right? Which was cool. But in Paris, I was like, raw, in your local cinema, there is so many French films that we're not watching. Like, that we have no knowledge of and it just made me realize how vast the world of cinema actually is and how much further we have to dive into it yeah that's, that's just how i wanted to to start the episode welcome yeah, to always, the, welcome to the world if i could just add to that yeah like that's sick by the way i always um i always try to check out cinema culture wherever i go and again like even with um norway and amsterdam it's about like finding those those little pockets and understanding the saying. So um, I did have an opportunity during the last uh, BFI Film Festival to interview a filmmaker, actually. Um, Sick. Uh, a Norwegian filmmaker. My mind's a bit hazy, so I'm forgetting all the finer details. But long story short, it was a very quick interview, sharp turnaround. I did it because um, the company I was working with then just had like... Yeah, they just had like a like a scope and a spread of films. Um, got to speak to a few directors, and this one director um, from like the Norwegian film scene was telling me about like their industry and how it's like building up. And obviously, in the first couple of episodes, I mentioned that film, the worst person in the world, and that is like a pretty big Norwegian film at the moment. And yeah, it's like really exciting times for them, like building up, and it's a whole brand new kind of wave and that just introduced me to a whole different world that i haven't been considering but um when it comes to streams and stuff i feel like loads of those films they appear on streaming services like movie as opposed to the netflixes and, and stuff like that they just have like a whole different appeal and audience so yeah it's mm. interesting it's also kind of interesting actually that you talk about like bfi film festival because 
those sorts of film festivals, same thing with like Cannes and things like that in Venice, sometimes they're the only places if you are like from the UK, if you're lucky enough to go or kind of get tickets for anything, might be the only chance you actually get to see them. Because yeah. I remember when, the year I went to Cannes, there was a load of films that I saw that I've just never even seen remotely again. And it's because they just don't get UK distributors. And it's just, you know, you might see a movie that you think, this is probably the best thing I've seen at the festival. I hope it gets a wide release. And for whatever reason, it doesn't. And sometimes stuff like that pops up on things like movie. So there's a film on there called, uh, I think it's like Wild Goose Lake, which I saw at Cannes. And that was really kind of like fun and violent and gory. But that didn't get anywhere close to the UK for like years, I didn't think. And then I think it just popped up kind of like last year at some point, just kind of say, great, yep, here it is. No sort of kind of like fanfare or anything. It's just quietly just thrown on. Um, and yeah, it just seems to happen with lots of kind of European stuff. It gets kind of marketed really heavy during festivals and then that's about it. Yeah, it's really interesting because I feel like that's where I find the majority of my foreign film around can time and what's the one in there's another one that I want to say is in like Quebec and like just basically all the other film festivals like like you're saying Ross you'll see them advertised and be like oh, okay this looks sick and then like I'll try and pick and choose from the best of those so like even Norwegian cinema every now and again there's a big film that is like Scandinavian like that comes from that region and I'm like okay sick let me get into this or a tv show or whatever it is but actually being in the country made me realise the absolute depth of it. Like I went past a French Odeon and there was no films that like we're looking forward to, none of the blockbusters. It was all French films. And I'd maybe seen one or two and I was like sick. But there were so many that I had I had no yeah. idea what they were. And I was just like, rah, like we're actually missing out on so many films that we probably think are amazing. Yeah. Shout out to Cano, man. I think we need to be there next year. Yeah, I think if we nail our intros going forward, you know, we've probably got a good shot. Rah, rah. But no, 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 obviously um, I was away as well, just to quickly touch on that. Um, Mm. I went at Cannes Film Festival, but I was at Cannes Advertising Festival and there was definitely film people there as well. Um, And it just made me think, man, like, I want to be here next year with you guys. I don't know how much you'd want to be there with me, but I literally listed that as like one of kind of like my bucket list things since i even got into this like i remember very young um jonathan Mosher, he always used to like point out as scully was saying like the big different like um showcase um yeah showcases of film he would always like refer to them this as like oh this is like the bafta or canes or sundance rain dance winning like films and then that's how I would kind of have like a mind map of the things that I want to see but yeah definitely we need to we need to be there someday I think it, it yeah, 100%. Yeah. 100%. Um, so obviously to kick off the pod you know um, we're a month away from the greatest day of our lives guys we're all going to go cinema together Crazy. You guys, you guys are gonna enjoy me for over five hours. Pause. Wait, Whoa. I'm not allowed to pause. Actually, it's, it's Pride Month. I'm Pride Month. <laughs> Shout out to Pride and the man. Um, Love wins all the time, every time. Um, yeah, man. Oppenheimer x Barbie, Barbie x Oppenheimer, Barbheimer um, as some call it. Barbheimer. I want, I want the T-shirt. Open really bad. Army. 
I want the t-shirt really bad. Um, yeah, man. I, like, obviously, we're all looking forward to it. You know, I've made no kind of. I've not been silent about it. Oppenheim was like my most anticipated film in like the last five years, I'd say. Um, yeah, and I'm really looking forward to Barbie, man. And you know what? As it gets closer, and I'm seeing more from Barbie, like the the big mansion that just uh, appeared, I'm I'm I might be looking. Like I, I can't wait to watch that more. I, th- I think Oppenheimer. I'm looking. I'm looking more forward to Barbie at this stage than Oppenheimer. I'm be real. I'm gonna go out and say it. Yeah. And I know it's probably just me. No, no. I think no. Honestly, I'm thinking because Barbie could be so much more impressive and expressive with the directions that you can go in. I am. I feel like it, it can have more to play with. But obviously, Oppenheimer is much more of a serious film, and I love a serious kind of film, but. It's going to be quite contained, and we already know like the wider story. And yeah, I feel like cultural impact-wise, it's not like people are going to start campaigning. No disrespect, man, but campaigning for like Hiroshima and Nagasaki kind of relief and stuff like that. You know what I mean? It's kind of settled politically in the way it has. With Barbie now, there's so much they could do culturally, and that's why I kind of I wanted to talk about like the whole, as you pointed out, like the marketing of it, right? The fact that they built the actual um, playhouse, is it? Yeah, Barbie's yeah, Playhouse. Yeah, the Playhouse. Or Barbie's, I think, Barbie's Play Mansion. I think that's such a goldmine. Like, for both films as well, they could do so much for this promotionally in over this month. So I actually just wanted to ask, like, what would you guys do if you had, like... If you had, like, to do, like, a, a campaign for both Barbie and Oppenheimer, what would you do? Not at the same time, but like I'm not gonna time. lie. There's, I feel like there's very little we can do with Oppenheimer because you can't atomically bomb. I no, no, but for me, <laughs> I, like, I was thinking like, about this. Like, I mean, like, I mean, I don't see why you can't blow up the mansion. I just, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, that, oh, I'm sure yeah, there's nah, security nah, nah, and nah, people that's in there. That's I like. I just I think, know, it, I think, I think it would be funny. Like, I think it'd be funny, and it. It would be like, funny if you could clear the area. Yeah, if you could clear the area and just blow and just blow it up. No, no like think, it, it would be like about this in, in a mad extreme. What I was thinking, yeah, <laughs> a, bit, a bit similar to like the, the it poster. It would be hilarious, thing. though, bro. Like, say if they're marketing this, I want to see how they're marketing this in Japan, for example. Like, it yeah, might sound co- controversial, but how would they market this in Japan? There's two films that I really like the animations, but they're about the whole like um period of the atomic bombings. One is Grave of the Fireflies and the other mm-hmm. is Barefoot Gang. And it's mm-hmm. like, these show like situations and have stories about characters who had to exist through this and it makes you kind of conceptualise like, what people actually went through on the ground. If I was marketing for Oppenheimer, I would say, cool, if we're going into Asia and we're doing this, we should get someone who could or maybe try and do some kind of collaboration campaign with Studio Ghibli, do the characters around Grave of the Fireflies, and maybe have a drawing of the character characters of Oppenheimer, like in a poster-esque way, like, say, with Star Wars or something. Boom, just, like, promotional campaign like that. It would trigger so many people to watch it. It would be different, but it's something you could do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's actually quite a good idea. That's, Personally, that's I think with Oppenheimer... I think with Oppenheimer, I think Nolan's name is so big at this stage. There isn't much marketing they're doing because you don't have to. They're just putting out yeah. trailers and pictures sure. from the film. And I think, yeah. like I said about 
anticipating Barbie more. The thing about Oppenheimer is we do know some of the history. We do kind of know the basis of what the story will be about. And what we're really going to see is that some of the effects and the performances from the actors involved, as with Barbie, it's so much harder to have expectations because the cast that they have is so wide and so varied. And we don't know what angle they're going to take, whether it's going to be like a childish movie to, to hit nostalgia, or whether it's going to be like a funny movie, or they're going to have satirical comments about misogyny and da da da. And like, they've done so many things, yeah. Like, so for example, even in Japan, like you're talking about, yeah, the poster, he says, um, so you know how the tagline has been like in the West, like, this Barbie is a scientist, this Barbie is a doctor, this Barbie is a da da. And it's like, this Ken is just a Ken. I think it was in, was it actually, no, was it Japan or was it France? It was one of them where the translation, like they they made it specifically say that this Ken is just a Ken, but the way that you say just a Ken in that language is like slang for just fucks. <laughs> like, so this Ken just fucks. Like, and the fact that they've got that tiny attention to detail and like international posters is like so funny. And it's like, yeah, I just think we we have no idea where this story is going to go. Whereas with Oppenheimer, like I said, it's it's hard to market, but it's also easy to market because it's such a major event. Every, nobody wants to see another atomic bomb go off in our lifetime, right? So the yeah. fact that there's a film about that coming, it's like, okay, cool. Let's, let's be there. We have to be there. We need to understand this. It's going to ha- attract people. I bet it's going to become one of those films that people watch in history lessons. Like all the year levels. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, 100%. you know what's mad? Can I just say something? Um, this is dumb, but I think this is my civilization five brain talking. Right? There's a difference. I was I was kicked out of school, by the way. Warning. Like, so don't don't get mad at me. But there's a difference between atomic bomb and a nuclear bomb, right? Because really and truly, atomic bombs like the older version of what scientists yeah. and stuff have made so yeah really and truly uh, you can't even say that cj as it as like raw we don't want to see another atomic bomb happen because we've already leapfrogged that and now the next thing is a nuke if one nuke lands <laughs> it's game over for the entire world so it's like yeah i think this is a really important film in that sense you know yeah i, I hear you. um back kind of on the marketing of Oppenheimer, I can't remember when it was, but I feel like it was. I feel like it was when I went to watch Tenant. Like I feel like I seen silly the you know the black and white image of Cillian Murphy walking, and it was like, what is this cool thing? Like, mm-hmm. I, was it was it twenty? I feel like it was like it was a while ago. It was two it was years. Ago. It was very it was very it long was, ago. Like nah, I'm sure I think it was Tenant. You know, I feel like it was. I tenet. think it was Tenant, bro. And I. Like it was so early that they teased this, and everyone was like, "Yeah, bro, like what's that?" And then, like, I kept on. I remember I kept going to the movies, and I kept seeing it, and I was like, "Yo, what is this?" And yeah, I feel like the anticipation is like kind of just like built up and built up and built up, and then when it got announced, like, "Ah, oh, this is the film," blah blah, like, and now it's here. Like, I'm just kind of, I'm kind of like tired, in a way. Like, I'm still excited, but I'm tired. It's kind of like, it's kind of like, not to put make this a music conversation, but do you remember when Drake was, uh, like, marketing CLB and he had the love heart in his head for time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it it was like, oh, it's got delayed. Or, yeah, yeah, like, I just feel like now, like, I just want it. 
you know every what I mean? music recently, like when you tease a song for any longer than a week or two, I feel like I anticipate it so much that when it comes, I just don't care anymore. Like, yeah, I've been yeah. I've also got a Christopher Nolan theory that I've been thinking about recently, but I'm going to save it for the actual Oppenheimer chat that is coming. Are we gonna but do was, a are we, we going to do a split episode on that? Like, or are we going to give one episode? I, pure I think we should, we should double up. Well, I, would, have... I wouldn't mind to do two. Sorry, Ross. I was going to say, surely double up. Like, I'm, I'm splitting because I think oh, each. Yeah, we start talking yeah. about Nolan, can't, through can't, a three-hour movie, and also by the time like we start talking about Nolan generally. But interesting point that you kind of just said the fact that it's been teased for so long that you just kind of you you know you're almost getting sick of it or you're bored because you want it now. Surely, yeah. if anything, that's the best kind of marketing campaign there is. Almost get people annoyed to the fact that like, yeah, they're yeah. desperate for it. Because as I said, like when I was buying the tickets this morning, that IMAX is virtually sold out every seat, like especially for the first couple of days. And that's when are we really, when are we going again? Because I need to I need to Sunday the twenty third is when we kind of add But like that that's too. already kind of selling out. And his kind of marketing campaign, he kind of knows the fact that he's kind of got that prestige tied to his name now that he can drop a teaser and only have that teaser for like a year, then drop another teaser trailer. And I saw the most recent trailer the other day and there's a lot in it, but like, you know, it's three hours long and it doesn't give you, so it's split into color and black and white. And it's meant to be different mm. sides of the story, depending on which um, kind of uh, format you're in at the time. And, you know, it's still not giving too much away from a story you already know. Um, or people might already know, and I think it's just—I think that is probably the best kind of marketing tactic, especially for Nolan. Just say, "Look, it's my movie. It's on film. It's in IMAX. What more do I need to say?" Because people will flock out to see it. And mm-hmm. the only other thing I've kind of really seen him kind of do is that a guy's TikTok or Instagram live video, or whatever. Because everyone said this is really weird for Nolan, but this kid was just speaking with him and interviewing him. And he's in like a massive like IMAX cinema and he's got all the roles of film and like he's sat there watching it with him and certain scenes and stuff. That's probably all he needs is that yeah. people will get pissed off and annoyed saying, why can't we're not seeing anything from this? Why is there no clip? Why is there no teaser? And like Barbie, I think, has to kind of market like that because they've kind of got a weird. I don't really know what the demographic is. But you is. say that, you say that, but how many teasers has Barbie had? Like, I think there's literally two. I feel like yeah. Barbie's now, nah, but I feel like Barbie's. Nah, I don't feel I've like he's given away a lot, marketing. but I feel like I've seen a lot. Yeah, but me? I've seen a lot of physical marketing. I haven't seen a lot of trailer or teaser. I've yeah. seen about seen three or four trailers for Barbie now. I've seen I've like seen, re- reworks of like the same trailer. Yeah, like the same thing. More spots. Is it the same thing? Like one or two. Yeah, yeah. One or two lines of dialogue from like the same scenes and spots as in so many like different characters we've seen like. How they're dressed, or you know, yeah, I mean, yeah that's they're... the other thing because it's a big yeah. ensemble cast, they keep leaking cast members. So you'll be yeah, like, Yeah, yeah, like, last week I found out Michael Cera was in it. I was like, Wait, what? Like, you like know oh, that... this person's in it, and yeah, like, no, he's, he's it's... been there, but it's one yeah, of the they've also kind is... of, yeah, they've got they've also kind of got every aspect of it covered. So they've got like Dua Leapers in the movie as like the mermaid, right? And she's doing a single for the um for the film. So that's gonna get released. I oh, that soundtrack's gonna be amazing. Barbie song. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of getting released. So it's constantly in your face. And I think the interesting thing is is Warner Brothers is in a bit of a shit position right now. They're trying to sell off, you know, a massive amount of their music estate uh because yeah. they need money and they're massively in debt and they're putting a lot of money into kind of promoting Barbie 
in the hope, I imagine, that they think it's going to be a massive hit. It's and I'm sure be... it probably will be. It, it should be. But I, think I just, I just don't... every DC film. It should, yeah, no. Yeah. But the yeah, way they're 100%. pushing it and the kind of online reaction, it should be. But Warner Brothers at the moment are just fucking up so badly on so many fronts that it's just like, I don't know. I don't think it's, it should be a short, like a short hit. But mm. I just think there is that sort of kind of little bit of doubt that maybe they're pushing it so hard because maybe they think there's something wrong with it. It's not quite the film they want. Um, also, the point at the very beginning of this, they said, you know, you said blowing up the house. If Nolan was still contracted to Warner Brothers, I bet someone would have pitched that they at would, Warner Brothers. They, they would have absolutely said, we're going to have the dream house up until the day of the release, and then mm-hmm. we're going to blow it up. Even if that it's not real, even if it was just like on Twitter, like a video, and it's pretending to be live, and then CGI blow up. But if Nolan was still there, they would do it. Also, can I just say, um, I think someone said, I think it was you, Jude. What is the target audience? Because I'm deep in it right now. Obviously, we're grown men in it. We're gonna we're gonna go watch it, like Barbie. That's fine. But like, if I'm like a fourteen year old, I'm not watching. I'm not watching Barbie. I'm not going to. I'm not going to watch that. You say that, but if you're a fourteen year old, you're not watching Oppenheimer. Like the question, same question can be flipped back. At yeah, but mm, yeah, nah, I feel true, like I would true. though. I, feel, nah, nah. T- t- I hear what you're saying. I don't even think it'll be your age. If you're one of them, like you're one of them serious, serious kind of artsy kids for that time. Yeah. And today's kind of a different generation. Now it's much more about like the popular in thing. Like loads of kids went and watched Mario, for example. You know what I mean? Like, look what, yeah. what Mario yeah. did. You to have a cultural moment because of the Bowser mm-hmm. song. Yeah. Like, be interesting. So... I think I think both films are going to be massive because now they've been pitched head to head. Like now, now the day has been known as Barbenheimer Day, and like everybody's waiting for both. I think there's going to be a lot of people who are doing what we do and either see them back to back or they'll make like a weekend of it, or it'll be like we're going to see Oppenheimer this Saturday, the next Saturday we're going to see Barbie. Like I just think it's going to be such a cultural zeitgeist moment. It's going to be hilarious. But Moving on, I saw a film today that was that I realized was actually Barbenheimer already. It was a perfect marriage of Barbie and Oppenheimer. It was filled with beautiful pink and pastel colors and also had atomic bombs in them. Talking about Asteroid City, of course. The meat and bones of this episode. CJ, you haven't seen it yet, have you? No. Okay, so I know you're on TikTok a lot, right? Yeah. So I want to start the conversation by asking there's a massive trend right now, right? Of people trying to remake Wes Anderson's style TikToks or trying to make TikToks in his style, rather, should I say. Right? You've seen that, right? No. You haven't seen anyone make a Wes Anderson TikTok? No. Raw, okay. So, okay I'm ca- carry on, carry on. I'm going to go, I'm going to go look whilst I'm on mute. Okay, meet yourself. Yeah, so this is a, this is a thing that's coming back. I think there's like a pastiche of his style right now, like because he's a director who, similar to Christopher Nolan, but I'd say actually more so, that has such a distinct style. Like all his films are so stylistically clear and concise. Like you know, where's Anderson film when you're watching it? I don't think there's many other modern directors in the West that we can say that of. I asked one of my friends this earlier and he said it's probably only Tarantino. Like, Wes Anderson is in that that sphere of like, okay, cool. We know what your films look like. We can 
we could take the mick out of them, but also we love them. They're adored. And I think he's in a really weird space right now because he's basically been popping since the nineties. He had a big film in the nineties. He had a big film with the noughties. He had a big film in the 2010s. Now it's 2020. And he's had a film that I think is probably the most quintessentially Wes Anderson, but also is probably going to be the most polarizing Wes Anderson. Like, I think a lot of people are going to watch this film and not get it. Like, because he's not very, it's weird. It's like super clear and also super complex. Like, and it leaves a lot of things up for interpretation. Yeah. I uh, yeah. The thing I kind of found with it, and um, because in the moment, like, I really enjoyed it, but then I also kind of felt like it was cold kind of for a little bit kind of at the beginning. And I think what it kind of is, is the fact that, Wes has his own style. He's obviously kind of very unique and creative and imaginative and how he kind of creates things and pushes things through. But then all of his narratives, I kind of feel, always have kind of a slightly kind of odd framing, perhaps not so on much mm. in his early career, but especially the later career, there's always kind of like an odd style towards him. So if you look at something like Grand Budapest Hotel, that is essentially kind of framed as uh, an author or a girl reading a book by an author she likes about the life of um, Gustav H and kind of the Grand Budapest Hotel. And then you get into the meat of it. So it's kind of a story framed within a book and then you kind of get into the action. French Dispatch, kind of similar. It's sort of kind of people writing for a newspaper and a magazine and you're kind of watching the action unfold as they're writing out these kind of news stories. And it's the same thing with Asteroid City. But I think the difference is, is that perhaps this is the most complex and perhaps less um, approachable of those kind of structures. The fact that you kind of, from the, from the outset, because you're presented to it as a, this is a fictional play and you're seeing the kind of the writing and the behind the scenes of it. And then you're constantly breaking the fourth wall and kind of actually seeing these kind of uh, characters come out of role and then go to the, the um, script right and kind of asking questions and probing things and kind of having existential crises. It's probably the one that, you know, people won't be kind of, it's not accessible potentially for a mass audience. And I think that's probably why it kind of feels potentially kind of like complex. And also, as I said, like a little bit cold at times, because it's, you know, if you're kind of given that kind of structure of this is all kind of fake and this is all theatre, and then you're constantly seeing that, perhaps you're kind of taken out. So, but then, you know, when I kind of came out of it, I thought that just depends on how much you kind of like Wes's style and how much you can kind of get on board with that sort of approach and that sort of structure. And I think by the end, once I'd kind of sat with it and thought about it, I thought, yeah, that does really work. But I also know that for a lot of people, they're going to hate that. I definitely agree with both of you. Yes. It's like, I've always seen that Wes Anderson films as like, a compilation of convergent stories and it's about how you package it and as you said Ross like with Grand Budapest Ho- Hotel you can at least see it's like framed through a book for the French Dispatch which I actually I actually quite liked like more than um most people again it's like several stories with a few relative points that can kind of converge together by the end and um with this what I did appreciate about this is I felt like Wes was very conscious of the fact that, yeah, this is how I kind of craft stories. So let me kind of 
double down or intensify the aspects that I really like about it. And even earlier today, I was um, listening to a video of, um, I think it was a Hollywood reporter talking to Brian Cranston, and they asked him about, yeah, just about how he, like his experiences working with um, Wes and why he enjoys it so much. And he he was like basically describing such a, a unity on set that really brought the best out of so many different actors. And that's what, what I felt when I was watching the film. It's like, it's not such a super heavy story that it's like, oh, you've got act one, two, and three. And even though it is framed like that, it's like so many different stories that, again, by the end of it, you can be left baffled because there might be like a little opening where it goes back to... Um, it goes back to um, the filmmaker, you know, taking in, taking questions on the film. And, like, yeah, I, I just think it's a film that... It's a filmmaker's film. And it also reminded me of Birdman, in a way, if you remember that film. Like, Birdman, in the sense that it's, like, acting within acting. Within acting. Like, there's so many levels. It's, like, an inception of the filmmaking or theatrical process and by the super end matter. yeah super 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 matter and, and that's why I think the actors really respected it and even like with um another kind of thing that I noticed like Tom Hanks um I don't know if anyone watched like um his last film um that Otto film did anyone see that no oh the um no but I really wanted to I really really actually... wanted to <sighs> I forgot. It's called there's, yeah, a, a there's, man called a man called yeah, a man called it's based yeah. off the Swedish. The I think it is mm-hmm. a man called Ove. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. a really good film actually. I I enjoyed that. And when I was reading about why Tom Hanks even joined that cast and joined the film, he said that he wants to have films contained with heart. And it's kind of funny because I didn't really see this as a, a film that was so evoking. You know what I mean? Like, of emotion. It was much more delightfully pleasant in terms of the acting performances, the cute little stories intertwined together, like, yeah. of the kids and, and stuff like that. And, yeah, man, by the end of it, I was just... I just left understanding that this is a film that the filmmakers and the actors actually rather enjoyed themselves. And, yeah, that's kind of how I see it. I think with... To, to directly apply to your points, I think with Wes Anderson, like contrasting Astro City against uh, Birdman, the thing with Birdman is right, it's about it's a guy who is an actor, he's portraying a role, but the whole thing is it, he breaks the fourth wall because the two lives are blurred, right? Mm-hmm. And when you take that and apply it to Asteroid City, I think like because obviously I watched it today and I messaged you guys like when I came out I was like that was a weird film and I sat literally for seven minutes and then things started to fall in place for me and I think like when you applied that from Birdman to Asteroid City it's the same thing of like all these people's lives they were all living these lives and you see all of these actors and they're they're putting everything into their performances throughout the show or into their role in the performance whether it's the director or the lighting tech or someone's wife but at the end of the day they're all acting so they're all portraying something there's all a mask up and like really and truly at the climax of the film without trying to spoil it for cj like like 
the mask drops like everybody is who they're pretending to be mm-hmm. but they were trying to avoid being that at the same time right yeah like that's how that's what i felt like the film was about and i feel like he did a really really weird but good job of making things really emotional because i would say it's actually quite an emotive and emotional film but he does it in a really hands-off way like nobody yeah. actually says yo yeah, yeah. Or, like for example when somebody says they've broken down they say it in a very matter of fact way like at the very beginning tom hanks and jason Schwartz, schwartzman their characters he asked him like are you all right and he's mm-hmm. like no i'm not and yeah. they say it in conversation in passing and they carry on like did you know woodford yeah brainiac and something yeah, I guess I always did. Like, they just say things and keep yeah. going. And I think it's something... I don't know what he's referencing. Like, I obviously messaged you guys and said, I think he's alluding to a lot of the characters, especially the younger ones, being neurodivergent. Like, and I think that is kind of the story he's telling, right? Like, like all these people have these feelings. They don't know how to convey them. They don't know how to talk about them. And the people older than them also don't know how to convey them. And they... you know, you know what? Sorry to even cut you off, but that's really interesting. You say that because that's probably just opened my brain up on the film. It's really when you look at all the characters, all of them want to be understood. Like every mm-hmm. single one of Literally. them are basically vying to be understood. Even the character that um, uh, what's her name again? Um, Ethan Hawke's daughter. Yeah, yeah, my Hawk. My Hawk. The character that she played, she's a teacher that kind of was losing her place in the story and is trying to retain some kind of mm-hmm. balance and it's kind of like keep things in place because I've got a job to do and I'm trying to mm-hmm. continue this. But even those kids are special in themselves. They're all quite unique, the kids that she was managing and teaching. And then you had those genius kids, as you said, who mm-hmm. had the like appeal of being like neurodivergent. They all were trying to be understood within their group. You but know? do you know what was do you know what was even more insane? Another thing I noticed, yeah. So I was mm. thinking about how all, how all the adults they said things, matter of fact, but they never showed anything, right? They never showed no emotion. Mm-hmm. Like Scarlett Johansson's character, she said things, but they never showed any emotion. Like the general, did it. Everything was matter of fact, yeah. But go back and watch the film if you can, yeah. I'm second watch, yeah. I didn't get to see the second watch, but it felt like, yeah, all the kids were the only honest characters, like the Brainiac kids. And the school kids, like they all said exactly how they felt all the time. Like his yeah. three daughters, when they told that ginger kid to say grace, he said everything he was actually thankful for. Like ketchup, mm-hmm. mustard, hot dogs. Like they were the honest characters, and the adults had the issue of not being able to be honest and not being able to share their experiences. And I felt like that was a bit of an angle as well. Like because you can see that the son is like he's obviously a teenager and he's sitting in between those two perspectives yeah. so he wants people to be honest with him and to understand him but it feels like the two older men in his life the dad and the granddad like they're just it's not how things are done like <laughs> let's just yeah let's suck it up and keep going and, and it was like i think it's a very interesting well-layered film like a super well-layered film i think it potentially is the most Wes Anderson Wes Anderson so far, like I said. Yeah. It's the best, it's, but it's the most. He mm-hmm. does, like, it's, you know, and it's kind of interesting that you kind of say, like, you know, potentially, like, on initial glance, it's not so kind of emotive. But I think Wes does that kind of really well in all of his films, actually, mm-hmm. is the fact that because mm-hmm. it's so whimsical and kind of zany yep. and he's kind of got this such stylistic approach 
that perhaps it's not the first thing you kind of pick up on and actually it kind of takes time and you know to all of your kind of points you're kind of adding on it it's like it is all about sort of like identity and kind of purpose and you kind of that's why like jason schwartzman is kind of breaking in and out of character to kind of mm-hmm. he's like i don't really you know he doesn't understand his character he doesn't understand perhaps some of the motivations and the emotions and you know it's it's almost kind of like the two sides of it he's got the identity as the actor tr- portraying the character and not understanding and then when he's actually kind of within the role you know it's kind of dealing with his grief and i guess his purpose now is kind of a father to the kids because there's obviously that bit towards the end where he's kind of joking about potentially having left them and that's why it's kind of interesting with, like, with woodrow because you have that whole point you know that whole scene within the brainiacs kind of club where they're essentially diagnosing him saying here's a mm-hmm. hero's traits you know I he's love perhaps kind of yeah he's not intimidated but he's shy he's timid and mm-hmm. you know it's all of that kind of building up and it's it's little throwaway kind of bits as well. Like when Tilda Swinton's kind of scientist is talking very matter-of-factly about like, maybe I should have had kids and then maybe mm-hmm. I could have been a mother. And then it's gone and it's on. And it's those little kind of moments mm-hmm. that yep. I think, you know, you skip over them potentially because you then got like the little yep. puppet yeah. roadrunner going across. But actually you kind of, after the fact, you kind of think, actually, this is a lot more kind of emotive and serious. Yeah. I think he does a very good job at bringing quite, sometimes intense potentially themes into kind of light and vibrant films um and i think that's why kind of like especially like the, the scene that everyone's kind of raving about towards the, the end where jason schwartzman kind of in in kind of um his real character you know it, kind of the real guy when he kind of breaks the fourth wall and i'll try i won't spoil it for who you know for those who haven't seen it but he bumps into someone else and they kind of have a discussion about a scene that they had. And, you know, it's all about kind of purpose and identity in that kind of moment. And it's actually very tender and kind of actually kind of a little bit melancholy. And it yeah. kind of, then I think about kind of some of his other films. And I think Grand Budapest Hotel does that really well. And I think that's probably why, you know, for me, I think that's probably my favorite of his. And I think probably Grand Budapest was my favorite. Because, yeah, it was my favorite. Because it is, I think, just the perfect amalgamation of everything, like style substance everything comes together perfectly but then it kind of made me think about you know like the french dispatch before you've got kind of essentially three kind of anthology stories within that and i remember watching it the first time i kind of wrote off like the kind of the final one the private dining room of the police commissioner like i thought it was the second it was the middle i thought that was okay but i preferred that number one not too many spoilers by the way because i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna challenge cj to watch at least French yeah, yeah, yeah. and grammar. Yeah. yeah. But like it's but, but it's interesting because like that one I thought this you know this was this was okay. I think it was the middle of the pack. But then I w- watched it again. And actually there's so much kind of I guess emotion and kind of humanity within that story, but subtly done. And then mm-hmm. Jeffrey Wright kind of um gives this amazing monologue at the end. And you kind of think, oh actually this is the best thing of the film. Everything there's else so before much- is a little bit superfluous. Whereas this yep. is actually the beating heart of the film. And there's a reason why he's ended with that, because actually this is to ground it and say, right, there it is. And, you know, he just, I think a lot of people will over kind of write what he does just because they say like, oh, everything's symmetrical. Everything's got this color. Everything's stylized. And it's, it's kind of interesting because actually you talked at the start and we talked to Jude and I last week about obviously the AI stuff. But there was a thread on Twitter that I was reading this morning and it was one of the scenes from Grand Budapest Hotel. And it's the bit where they, um, they're they talking about the famous painting that everyone wants to get their hands on and how Gustav mm-hmm. H uh, is being given it. 
yeah. and it's kind of a really funny scene, kind of really kind of bawdy and whatnot. And loads of people underneath who were kind of criticized, you know, you could see different threads where they're criticizing Wes Anderson, he's his one trick pony, whatever. A lot of people are kind of saying, so this is this is what a Wes Anderson film's like. And you know, other people in the comments kind of saying, like, yeah, so you've never seen one. Like, so why are you jumping on the bandwagon that they're all the same? There's no purpose, there's no meaning behind them, it's just colourful and symmetrical kind of scenery. And actually, you know, it's the the truth of the matter is is that you can you pastiche him as much as you want, but you can't deny the fact that he knows how to write a proper story mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and one that's kind of full of emotion and heart. And that's why people keep going back to it. And that's yeah. the reason why Asteroid City in the States is, I think, his best wide opening ever, like $9 million, which doesn't sound like a lot, mm-hmm. but yeah. for an independent <coughs> movie or a more Huge. independent spirited movie is massive. Yeah, I've never watched. I, I was going to say I've never watched a Wes Anderson film, but I know what they look like. Like that. That's is. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I think. Yeah. I think that's. I think. Yeah, yeah like like Ross was saying um, with the Fred. I think that can go two ways. Like in one way, you can really appreciate that he has such a distinct style that if you do see a screen capture of one of his films, you could be like, yeah, that is a Wes Anderson film, but the other side is obviously people, yeah, just essentially memeifying it. That's what I was saying <laughs> last week. And um, But yeah, just even to add, add to that and um, probably save myself, because I didn't mean, like, in all, it wasn't a motive. Rather, that, as you were saying, like, whimsical, and that's why I use the word delightful, because even though no small moments, those small stories indicate so much that it's heavy, but it's subtle. And in the screen that I was at, like everyone was laughing. We were laughing at so many moments, like very sharp, small bits of like dark comedy, like the little girls with yeah. like, the mother's mother's ashes. And I felt like the endearing moment probably when um um Tom Hanks's character like obviously like leaned down. It felt like we were leaning down with him. And we were like kind of getting to a point of understanding and saying like, hey, like this is obviously a bit of a crazy time and every and each of these characters are going through something. But there's certain ways in which we have to act and like a larger story at play. And yeah, man, I think this steps into my top three Wes Anderson films. I was saying in the group that I haven't seen all of his films and it's definitely a mission that I want to take. But you know what Wes Anderson film I do really actually like? Um, what is it called? Uh, the Life Aquatic of Steve Zuzu. Yeah, remember that? Yeah, that was that was hard. That was hard. I remember when that came out. It like um, a couple years later when it came out on TV, that like, I watched that and I was just, I was just like so impressed. It was just like wow. I think the like, thing about Wes Anderson, I think I think the thing about him is the reason why people try and mock it is because I don't think anything he does. I think a lot of it is unique experiences to him, right? Like, but I also think that the the techniques are an amalgamation of things that have been done. Like, you can see with the physical comedy in the way that actors work, and that's probably why actors like working with him. Like, he uses old school techniques, like that you probably would have seen someone like Charlie Chaplin use, like in yeah. the way that they were like they'll be very physical with their walk and the camera will follow them each way. Or like you're saying, with the, with the leaning with the granddad and the camera following it and it makes you feel like you're doing it, that could be something that you might have borrowed from someone like Kubrick. Like He uses a lot of older theatre techniques especially to like make you feel a part of it. 
but he kind of reinvents him for the modern cinema. And I think the thing about him saying so much about saying, without saying so much, like there was that kid, remember, he was always like, do you dare me? Do you dare me? And you're like, and then his dad asked him, why do you always want to be dead? And then you see later on when they're in quarantine, they're like, he really wants to press the button. And his dad's like, don't you dare, don't you dare. If you do, I'll break your neck. And like, you, like you can see if his relationship with his dad is probably contorted him to be the way that he does, right? Like just from his dad saying in that one sequence, don't you dare. I was like, okay, now I understand why you're always asking somebody, do you dare me? Do you dare me? Like mm-hmm. there's so many little bits that you might think are throwaway, but they allude to something else. And I think yeah. he's aware of the critique, right? Like I think he's very aware of the critique. And like you're saying, Ross, about the stories within stories, I think previously they've been a vehicle. So with the French Dispatch, I believe at the time he was getting mad like articles written about him by the New Yorker. So then he was like, cool, I'm going to make a film about a newspaper. <laughs> like, and then that's going to be the vehicle. And then at one stage, it was like, that with Grand Budapest Hotel, making a story about a story makes it easier yeah. for these characters to be in there and be whimsical. And I think why Asteroid City is probably his best film is he's, he's completely played on that theme of his and blown it up. Like, the fact that the story is within the story is the story. Like, that's the entire point of the film. Like, okay. look at all the relations people have, and like, look at the yeah. different levels and all of this. Like, it's it's like showing that like, I'm more than a one trick pony while also doing the same trick, but just yeah. Like, it's like you so, see, like when somebody invented the flip flap in football. Yeah, it's like ah, right, cool. Now I've done a reverse flip flap. You never would have expected yeah. that. <laughs> so, so what? What Wes Anderson film have, are you like challenging me to go watch? The ones I loved, I think the first one I fell in love with Percy was Royal Tenenbaums. That was that was like the first Wes that I saw, and I was like, "All right, cool, this guy's sick," and I, I kind of fell in love with it. Grand Budapest Hotel, obviously amazing. French Dispatch, uh, Life Quite, Steve Zizel, like you said, dude. I'm trying to think. Give me currently give, just listening the whole it, filmography. Yeah, I was gonna say, give me, <laughs> so give like, me, it's just like give watch me two everything. To watch. Yeah, it's all on Disney Plus. Just watch them. Oh, you is it all? Probably, on, oh, they're all on Disney Plus. Yeah, I think they're all on Disney Plus now. But you should watch. You should watch the Royal Tenenbaums because that's arguably his most kind of important early work. Okay. You should watch Grand Budapest Hotel because I still think that's probably his best movie. Okay. Yeah, it's definitely then, the. It's the best, most accessible. Okay, yeah, so that, I, those, those those two were the ones that like are popping up. People, you must have seen yeah. Fantastic Mr. Fox. I didn't watch it when I was younger. I did. I I know. I know what it is. I never watched it when I was younger. No, I I remember. I I was a bad youth them time, so I watched it. It didn't really move me. It's probably a film I have to revisit. I'll be honest. I mean, yeah, but like, it's also like he's done so many kind of different styles. Because I was going to say, like, you should watch those, like, Royal Tenenbaums, then Grand Budapest. You should watch one of his animations because they're just beautiful. Probably Fantastic Mr. Fox. I did watch Isle of Dogs the other day again. And I do I like it. I, really st- I still Isle really love that film. But I think Fantastic Mr. Fox is you should watch. But then it's just like you probably do want to watch one of the outliers potentially, you know, mm. something like Life Aquatic or French Dispatch. Two that probably get less rave reviews depending on who you talk to, or they're the best film out of his entire filmography to speak to someone else. I think, yeah, I think those are the type of films where he's just flexing the extent he could 
go with his like, yeah. storytelling devices because mm-hmm. I felt like the French Dispatch at times, especially with like the first couple of stories, it felt like supernatural. You know what I mean? It, it felt like if you took a processor and, and took the idea of supernatural characters and put it through like a Wes Anderson lens, you get these very iconic people that you can craft a whole story around and yeah, yeah that was a power of like French dispatch for me. And also right. like it's interesting like the fact that you know you kind of I'd say watch all of them if you can be bothered to and you've got the time because yeah. actually I'll watch, I'll watch Royal, also, Royal Tenenbaums tonight. Yeah, yeah watch, watch that one tonight. tonight. But but it's interesting if you watch every film he does because actually you'll see that he likes a lot of the similar cast. So Jason Schwartzman who's the kind of the main protagonist in Asteroid City is also the main protagonist in one of his earlier films called Rushmore and sort of similar sort of almost kind of like tragic comedic roles actually. But going back to probably do a comparison between how he, Jason Schwartzman's evolved as an actor and Wes as a director would probably be quite interesting because, you know, similar themes within those characters, but actually nearly three decades apart probably now. And it's probably be quite interesting to see how that's kind of developed and matured. Um, the only other thing I wanted to say about Asteroid City is that I was reading an interview as well, and he said that he was kind of really influenced by uh, Wim Wenders for kind of Asteroid City. And if you've not seen any of his films, go watch something like Wings of Desire, because that's really good. Mm-hmm. And that's similarly kind of all about sort of kind of like purpose and identity and humanity. And, you know, I saw film. that. I saw it last year when they kind of did a... um sort of a re-release, like Restoration in Picture House. And that's a beautiful film. And it's unsurprising, actually, that he'd be influenced by something like that because it's black and white, so you've kind of got those black and white sequences kind of matching up, but actually it's more about the kind of the tone and the emotion behind it, which I think is obviously more what he's drawn from. So my one recommendation from that, go watch Wings of Desire. Cool. I'll have a, I'll have a watch of that. So yeah, I highly recommend Asteroid City. I think everybody should go and watch it. But I don't think if it's your first Wes Anderson, I actually because I like him and I respect the film so much, I would say don't jump in there. Go and watch one or two others first, so you kind of get it a bit, and then go in. But uh, since that is so distinct stylistically, and since you know, like I said, he Wes Anderson might be my Quentin Tarantino. I think he's one director that I really look at as iconic and inspires me. What are some guys that you guys think are iconic stylistically? I think before we say anything about that, we should eliminate some guys. So no Tarantino, no Nolan, no Scorsese. And obviously we talked about Wes already. So who else? For me, actually, I already know it's Gaspar No. If you haven't seen a Gaspar No film, I feel like you haven't. You haven't explored cinema in a way which could really expand. It would expand your repertoire, like, immediately. Like, he's such a unique filmmaker. Like, he's an Argentinian, but, like, um, he's, like, based in, like, Paris, France. So most of his films mm-hmm. are kind of, like, mixed in, like, different cultures. He's very quite worried. Like, my favourite film of his is probably Enter the Void. It's, like, um, mm-hmm. an LSD trippy film in which like it follows a character that is actually like living in Japan um, mm-hmm. links up with like his sister and it's like a film that is framed through just his lens like you can see him and at the time it come out it was like 2009 
I didn't know how he filmed this, and I still don't know. I'm probably going to research this on the back of this episode. But, like, the way it's framed is you could just see through his eyes, if you get what I mean. So mm-hmm. even if it's a mirror shot, it's just, like, him standing in the mirror. Such a sick shot. And, like, I won't spoil it for you, but definitely check that out. And my other film I would suggest is I Stand Alone, which is his first film. It's about, like, um a working-class guy living in a part of France. And he's just like, yeah, he's going through it. He's, he's like not rich. He's got like a very damaged relationship with his daughter. And it shows like the outskirts of like French city kind of lifestyle, super gripping, super emotional and even traumatic. And like, yeah, it's just a very nuts, nuts film. So those are my two suggestions. And that's the director, Gaspanet. I need to, I need very to, um, heavy. Write that down. Cold. You would, you would love, love his films, Scully. 100%. Yeah. He's also like, he's, you talk about kind of like creativity with Noe as well. And I'll quickly say, like, there was a film that came out last year that he did called um, Vortex. And it was yeah, about kind good. of an elderly couple, one who's suffering from dementia. But the whole film, it's about two and a half hours long, is split screen. And each side of the screen is following one of the characters. So constantly you're just kind of got this barrage of kind of things moving around and you're trying to keep track. And it is, his movies can be brilliant, but they're fucking heavy. So have you seen Climax, Jude? You know what? I was watching Climax and I didn't finish it. I think it's like one of his films that, one of the films that I haven't. But, you know, back in the day, a lot of his films were so hard to come across, like actually good subs. Yeah. You know what I mean? So... I, I can't believe I missed the um, thing at Picture House Central the other week Same. where he introduced sick. pretty much all those films in one night. But, um, oh, that being said, even if I could just say, yeah, like I've got a friend, she's an editor, an amazing editor called um, Karina. Probably try and invite her onto his podcast one day. Uh, she edits Bella adverts, music videos and stuff and eventually films. She went to that night and she actually was sitting next to Gaspar. Which is so, which is so like funny, like an awkward, but they had like a back to back of like four of his films, and it was just like That's an amazing. intense day of yeah, watching his films, like bare Q and A's, talking and getting to understand like his type of filmmaking. And she was like, "Yeah, this probably like the best film event she's ever been to in her life." So I definitely need to attend like, the next type of ones. You know, damn. Should I go next? Yeah, <clears throat> I'm split between two. Um, the two are David Fincher and Sam Mendes. I was gonna um, go for David Fincher. I oh, love a David Fincher film. I love Seven. I love the social yep. networking. Uh, the social network. I love um, Gone Girl. Like I, I love them films. Gone Girl is a big you one. I, mean? um, I think he had a second where he was like. The man. You could compare him, yeah. You could compare him almost to like. See how Nolan has that streak. He had a little streak, right? Like of like amazing films. So that Zodiac, Fight Club. You said seven yeah. already. He's also got the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, which I really need yeah. to. I need to watch yeah. that series. I need to. I put it on my list. I'm gonna watch. He only, that did, he only did the one though, didn't he? Because yeah, he, he only did the one. Yeah, he only did the yeah, one. There's the Swedish trilogy, and then he did the remake. Underrated yeah. remake. That's actually mad. I forgot. He even done that Fight Club and Panic Room. Yeah, he's, yeah he his, did Panic Room. His oh. whole whole oh, filmography is insane. Yeah. But then Sam Mendes, 
has got one of my favorite films of all time, American Beauty. He's got the Empire of Light, which I, which is obviously new, but I watched it yeah, the other yeah. day. I really enjoyed it. I, um, I enjoy. It. I think Empire of Light is underrated. But yeah, continue. He's got Skyfall, which is a really good James mm. Bond film. Probably mm. my favorite. Um, yeah, like yeah, and he's got Revolutionary Road as well. I like it still. Like so, like, so like, so like, right? Road I, you to know, Perdition is amazing as well. By the way, Don't have I that. watched that? No, I, oh, the, um, I haven't actually watched it, so I'm gonna put this down on my list. Quality so, film, and I had the comic book as well somewhere. Drama and dra- a drama and crime film. Ooh, this is this is the one. This might, this might be the one. Okay, I might need, I might watch that tonight rather than the Wes Anderson. But um, no, like. That's what I'm saying. So out of them two, I'm more leading to David Fincher to be honest. But like, yeah, them, yeah, David Fincher, I'd say. Mine's probably Michael Bay. Oh God, cut the cameras! No, I'm joking, I'm joking, cut I'm the cameras! On your face, silence, Yo, everyone was just like, "Whoa!" Well, like, Blood Transformers. No, I was actually going like to say, um, David Fincher, and I was really impressed. Like, I was all trying to remember his name, like, <laughs> like Google it, and then you said it straight away. I was like, that was, the, that was the director I was thinking of. I was like, I know the film is directed, let me let me find it. Yeah, yeah, nah, literally, nah, I same thing. Fantastic, I think he's sick. I so thought for, anyone, one, so for anyone out there who just thinks I'm like one of these men who just watch the popular films, fuck you, innit. <laughs> Okay, I've proven it. Go on. No, man, I feel like everyone has like stages with film. Like, I've already had a stage where I think I was like 18 or 19. I was like, right, right, I want to watch like the best films ever. I want to look at like some of like the best director, director work, and all of this, or the best cinematographers, the best documentaries. And that's why I always, I've probably said this about on five different pods of this, like, um, the act of killing. By um, uh, something Oppenheimer actually, I forgot his name. Um, yeah, actor killing, cold suggestion. But literally, everyone has like different stages of film, and I feel like now for me, I'm getting to understand directors more, even cinematographers. I try to like follow their work a lot more, especially even um people who make scores. Like my man, um, Luna Gunnarsson, he's such a mm. a cold. Um, what do you even call him? Call him? Composer. <sighs> Composer. Yeah. Mind blank. But yeah, you know. Which is why when you go back to David Fincher, especially like his later works, all kind of massive kind of scores with Trent Reznor and Atticus mm. Ross kind of basically dominating award seasons most of the time. And they're just kind of an amazing duo to kind of work with. I think they also did um, Empire of Light, speaking of Sam Mendes as well. I still haven't seen Empire of Light. You guys have no, kind of sold it to me. I need to... Really, 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 really good film. Uh, like I said... It's good, I think. It depends Michael on... Michael Ward doesn't need to put the tracksuit back on. Like, <laughs> like, that's what I said after watching that. Oh, Ross, you haven't said your favourite director yet, or no? Yeah, I was just having a thing. Because uh, like, when we, we asked this question on Antoinette Rally, didn't we? And I said Alma Dover at the time. Because I think, mm-hmm. you know, I just love the fact that you know, most of his films are kind of melodramatic dramas or comedies and kind of 
he kind of makes use of these really vibrant color palettes and he's obviously got this obsession with red and you know i just love kind of those works but i'm sat here now and on my notice board in front of me i've got um kind of like a little kind of teaser marketing poster thing for nightmare alley and i think actually guillermo del toro is who i'm going to go for fantastic because because i think you know the thing i love about guillermo is the fact that he's just he doesn't really care about what people think he makes. And he's obviously just kind of got this obsession with horror and fantasy and creatures and kaijus. And I think the fact that I don't think he's made a film I don't like, even something that's perhaps the weaker end, something like Pacific Rim is still really fun, still really enjoyable because he's a guy who treats everything with sincerity and and heart. And he really kind of puts his passion into everything. But then you kind of look through, his kind of catalogue and he's just obviously got so many bangers and obviously that like Pan's Labyrinth is obviously the best work and that is an absolutely incredible sort of like fantasy kind of horror gothic and That's he kind of then to... just continues that through and you know he just makes these really kind of dark and twisted but kind of beautiful movies that also pack kind of like a real punch because they're unexpectedly kind of gory and violent but he kind of always tries to bring up the drama and, and the kind of the emotion from it. And, you know, I just think he's also a guy who over time has started to kind of experiment and play a bit more with kind of film. And the fact that he did the kind of Pinocchio last year that mm-hmm. won the Oscar and kind of, I saw that at BFI and that was so beautiful. And it's, you know, everyone's sort of kind of like, oh, it's a bit kind of creepy looking and weird, but the kind of attention to detail and just the craftsmanship behind just kind of every frame, you know, he's a guy who I love and whenever he kind of announces anything, which is why it's kind of sad, the fact that he kind of did an interview recently saying that he had five projects that he shipped to studios within the last couple of months and they all got rejected. And it doesn't really kind of make sense because this is like a two, well, I think three-time Oscar winner because I think he picks up a couple for Shape of Water. And he obviously won last year. Shape of Water. Kind of think, wow, I forgot that he, one, the Oscar. That's yeah. a great film, by the way, but he shouldn't have won that Oscar. I love that. I can't remember. I've got to look up, but I remember that year because I remember watching that film, and there were so many good films that year. And I thought Shape of Water was an amazing film, but essentially it is about a lonely woman who fucks a merman. And I just felt like there was better films that year. Other films. <laughs> I'm, other just films saying, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Other films that year, or the other Best Picture nominees, it's actually a pretty good year, to be fair. That's a See, tough year. I remember it. I remember it because I watched Shape of Water and I loved it and I thought the score was amazing. But even though I loved Del Toro, it wasn't the best film. Three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. The Post, Phantom Thread, Lady Bird, Get Out, yeah. Dunkirk, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. Hour, I knew yeah, it. I knew call it. Me by your name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew it. I remember okay. it because I was like, wow, like, how did Shape of Water win? Yeah, Get Out should have actually probably won that, you know. Yeah, Get Out, Call Me By the Name, Free even, as well. Even Dunkirk was serious, yeah. you know. Bro, like, in the normally in award season, I need to give, give a war, war film. film. I need to give a war film a go, you know. I hate them. Can I? Can I shout a director? Shout out a director because I was going to do David Fincher. Obviously, CJ did it. I've had Sorry, there's two. No, that's all good. There's two. There's two. There's one I didn't want to say because it was kind of bait. But I think if we're going to talk stylistic, because you didn't cross them off the list yet, um, we actually have to pay homage to Spike Lee because Spike Lee actually yes. is like yes. crazy, like Spike no, Lee Oh my god, I didn't say I didn't say John Singleton. Yeah. Oh John my Singleton god, is also a good shout. Also John Singleton, great shout. Is obviously, but a very good shout. I feel like these are like they're also legendary, and 
for me, Super I Batman. actually, I actually put them on the same level as the people that I X out, but I wanted to leave. Well, space then you might, you might more. say that, you might say that about this person I'm about to say as well, because I had one more. Because I had but, yeah, I wanted to leave space for the director episode, but there's so there's so many people that oh, yeah, true. deserve I... that deserve like recognition. Because I've also got another one on my tongue, but I'm gonna, yeah, I'm just not gonna say. Next week. All right, cool. I'll right. say I'll save this one as well. I got one more. I got because we didn't say a Brit in it. We didn't say a Brit. So oh. you know, what? I'll give a whack Brit right now. That I'm gonna oh say. Oh my Guy god, Ritchie we didn't right give now. a Brit. Yeah, Guy yeah. Ritchie. Yeah, Guy Ritchie's got. Guy Ritchie's got the Guy Ritchie's not the one. He's not the British filmmaker I wanted to talk about. But I'll save mm-hmm. it. Can I I'll just say I'm that. shocked that no one said the Coen Brothers. I'm I'm shocked. Yeah, that's on there. I mean, I've got an original Inside Llewyn Davis poster over here. I mean, so oh, I, that yeah. was on my list. I wanted to say, I, I was tempted to say him, but I think, nah, go for it. Yeah, yeah. I think Coen Brothers are probably a bit more kind of known than... Yeah. But we're going to have to just do another episode and just yeah, go into more detail. Yeah, we'll have fun with that conversation. But uh, before we get out of here, I think there's a few more things we need to address. I think, I think we need to talk about things we're looking forward to or something that I was looking forward to until this announcement. Uh, so obviously, one of you know me. I, first of all, I like animation anyway. Like adult animation is always going to swim my head. I've been watching Human Resources season two right now on Netflix. I finished that actually in two days, but um, I've been microdosing, waiting for Fox Machina to come back on Amazon Prime, and also Invincible. And uh, Invincible announced this week it's coming back, and like every other fucking thing in the world, it is going to involve the multiverse. Boo! Hold on. I like it. It did it, it deserved that because the story of Invincible is really good. I've actually read it and like I was gonna say, have man read the comics or yeah, yeah, I have. Yeah. And I don't think they needed to do that. And I feel like they have done this because everybody is doing it. And obviously, you two, Jude and CJ, you booed instantaneously. Ross is on mute, so you might have booed and we didn't hear him. I think there is a lot of multiverse fatigue going on right now. I was doing a cartoonish snore noise. Do you know, oh, cool. do you know <laughs> what it? Do you know what it is? Cool. Are you, are you finish your point. No, go on, go on. Yeah. Do you know what it is? Cool. I haven't watched the Flash yet. Mm. I, don't, I I'm gonna wait until it comes on on streaming because I don't really want to pay to see. I heard it's bullshit. Anyway. The multiverse, I feel like Marvel have done this thing where, cool, we've done it. They're doing it their way. Then everyone else is trying to do it. DC is trying to do it. This person's trying to do it. That person's trying to do it. Everyone's having their own little multiverse kind of thing. Like, yeah, it's annoying. Then Across the Spider-Verse comes out. Deals with the multiverse amazingly. And like... Yes, I might just be saying it because I watched it a month ago, but I just don't feel like anyone is going to do it as good as as good as that man did it in that film. And the thing that pisses me off with Invincible, it has no reason to do it. Like I like I do you not get have... why. I do not get why we need a multiverse a, a version of Omni Man or a multiverse version of um like, like we don't need we don't need it like at yeah, all. No, it's, it's Stick forced. to the story. All so I wanted from sorry, my point. All I wanted from Invincible season two was for my man to get as strong as possible, and then the last episode, his dad comes back, and then we go on season three, and it's just them two. 
that's all I needed. I didn't need, I don't need this. Oh yeah, he's going to travel to this multiverse and try, like, that's bullshit. It's absolute bullshit. And I'm sad that they're doing it's it. Too much. It's too much. I hope they don't my show. But yeah, that's my, that's my little rant over. Sorry. No, I completely agree with you. And sorry to even no, interject, but I wanted to disagree on the fact that I don't think the Spider-Man is the best version of the of the multiverse. It's every everywhere. Every, I was thinking that. I, want. I was thinking that as well. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah. for me, it, it has to be. And I actually really forgot. Intrigued. I actually forgot about that film, so I do apologize. Like, I don't entirely have a problem with all of the multiversal ideas, but again, the extension of it, like the, oh look, this is happening there. We've got to do this. I think that's wrong. I think it. It's dishonest to like storytelling. It's like a easy route to go, but in terms of a comic comic book sense, the reason why they have multiverses is because they've had to essentially reset so many different times on so many different occasions. So I can be forgiving of that, but again, going back to the point of which which film done it the best, it clearly has to be the Daniels with everything everywhere all at once because of the way they applied it. They applied multiverse in like a sense of a switch, how so many different possibilities could have remained, could have occurred and could be true at this any one time. But it's like the consciousness is flicking through all of those different versions of the self. It was never a thing of like, you have two different standing versions of the same kind of character or idea. And like, it was that and the application onto the fact that they're dealing with existence in such a way and the way that they framed it, the story that they told and built around it, it made it much more appealing and there was something in that. And I feel like growing up, we did kind of see, um, I can't note them to mind, but we did have like loads of like TV shows or even, I think there was even a multiverse episode of like Charmed. Remember the other week I was talking about like the the charm the witch yep, yep, yep. there was like a mo- there was there was a few multiversal episodes in that and it's like by then it's it's not po- popular culture you still have to actually tell a story but I think today we do experience this kind of hang up of multiverse and the ideas especially because yeah when we're looking at these these things it is a very interesting concept to take something and think like if you just take like a different domino effect what kind of outcome would this person or thing or story have it's interesting but yeah man it's a very superfluous idea to work from at this point it's also kind of interesting actually because you know thinking back last week to the flash for the most part it's almost just a time travel movie rather than an actual kind of multiverse movie at least for a good hour or so, because that's the whole point of the Back to the Future joke that's running through. They're talking about Eric Stoltz mm-hmm. being Marty McFly instead of Michael J. Fox, because that was the original casting, and they shot for a few days and then realized it wasn't working. And I kind of think, that, well, yeah, because actually, you know, if Back to the Future was made today, they'd probably say that was a multiverse movie rather than kind of just a time travel movie. And it's just like, you know, in one hand, it's almost like the idea of time travel is just boring because it's just, oh, you're going, it's linear. And I know, like, the whole argument, like, oh, it's not linear. There's lots of different pathways and things like that, blah, blah, blah. But it is just slowly and slowly becoming, or sorry, quickly and quickly becoming um, 
just a way for big corporations to milk fans for money and bleed IP dry. And that's why, you know, when you've got the rumours of, oh, Ben Affleck is rumoured to be Daredevil on the Deadpool set. It's like, but why? That ha- they, they have no reason to be doing that apart from like, and you know, the whole thing I think kind of like with the Deadpool 2 gag of, you know, the invisible guy actually being Brad Pitt, but you only see him for like three seconds. That's kind of a funny gag in the moment because, you know, there's all this kind of big build up and then you're like, oh, it's that guy. And then you move on. So I just think the fact that you've got a movie that's not necessarily even in the MCU yet, that they've sort of had to kind of drag Hugh Jackman out as Wolverine again after probably the best kind of iteration of his career with Logan. And the best as well. The best ending. That is the best comic book adaptation film ever. Yeah. And you're you're dragging him back just to get this film of Ryan Reynolds because they've got their little joke feud. And it's just... Already, that kind of just stank a little bit. It's just, it's just boring. And I think the fact is, is that very people have quickly cottoned on that it is just a way to oh get this cheap cameo and have a watch in. And you know, and the fact that movies are kind of premiering or kind of having kind of test reactions without being finished because they're trying to hide or potentially update a final cameo or switch in and out at the end, I just think is just bullshit. And you know, I just think there's no kind of passion behind it. And I think that's what people are just pissed off by. It's the fact that everyone's doing it. It's boring. It's all the same. And it's like, it's kind of interesting that kind of James Gunn today talked about um, all superhero movies at the moment are basically the same and they're boring. And it's kind of like, well, you're not entirely kind of, you know, blameless in that regard. Also, the fact that he was championing The Flash and kind of other films and within DC oh, set to come what? out. And it's just like, you know, I said The Flash was fine. I still kind of stand by that. I don't necessarily want to watch it again, but it was harmless. I think it was perhaps kind of a little bit unfairly maligned because it's, but they're all the same. And that's because all the comic book movies now have the same formula, especially when it comes to multiverse and time travel and people being thrown in. It is what it is. It's kind of just cheap and boring. And it's like, yeah, fine, whatever, get on with it. And eventually people will just get tired and just stop paying to see it. And, you know, we're seeing that with The Flash. The Flash is going to be a humongous bomb. Um, Huge flop. And I just think that's going to happen with other superhero stuff. People will slowly just stop going and saying, I'm bored, yeah. I want something new, I want something exciting. Yeah. I feel like... I, I think that's like already happening. Thing, but I feel like part of the thing with Invincible, I'm going to argue for in its case here, yeah, I do think that it's a self-aware enough and funny enough that it could just be taking the piss out of how many multiverse stories stories that we've had so far. And I'm praying that it can be satirical enough and funny enough and witty enough that it can kind of take the piss in a way that makes it interesting again. Because, and it's going to sound really stupid, but like, I love the theory of time and time relativity and quantum physics and all that. Like, that's the reason why I like sci-fi as a genre. Like, you can really have fun with those things. And the whole thing of time not being linear. And I hate that the constant forcing and pumping out of these multiverse stories are giving us fatigue, like, cool, do something else, we don't want to see this anymore. And I would love them to give a fresh perspective on it or something that makes it funny. Like, the reason why Everything Everywhere All It Wants is so good is, like Jude was saying, the perspective that it gives and its understanding of that theory is so unique compared to all the other films we've got so far. Like, hopefully Invincible can follow in its footsteps. Yeah, I agree. You all I feel like opinion, is, by the way. 
everything ever all at once I thought was overrated. Oh, uh, we need to. We can spend the whole Perfect. episode on that. I'm now that, no, that no, right no, 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 no. I did. I did not. I did this soundbar. Play this here. Oh, I, did, I, I did not want to say CJ it. agrees. That's enough. I, that's how you know. No, no, that's no, how no, you know hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold uh, on. I did not want to say. I just want to drop the grenade and get not, out of here. I did not want to be the first to say it, but when I watched the film, I said, "Okay, is this what everyone's going on about?" I said I that thought, the, the, the the best scene in that film was the rock scene when when the when the, the rocks talking to each other. I really liked that, but I thought the film was just I don't know. Bro, I feel like if you if we had like a rating system where you had to rate a film by like storytelling, by acting, by cinematography, by editing, by even score, if you took all so five of these much. ideas and you said, okay, cool, I'm gonna break down this film and rate it out of these these things, what do you think you give that film? Like think of it. Storytelling out of ten, I'm probably saying 9 or 10. Editing, I'm giving a 9 out of 10, especially knowing that, raw only like five videographers worked on like the edits and, and, and stuff. they did it on Premiere whole... Pro. I you hope you guys I mean? understand. Like... Do you know how mad that is? They did it on standard Premiere Pro. That thing, that film, yeah, on so many levels, even the, the way that it tells a cross-generational story that is culturally unique but also still relatable to so many people. Like, I genuinely think that is one of the most faultless films I've ever seen, yeah, personally. But I don't want to stick on it because I could fight and defend this film. I could. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. maybe we need to give it a rewatch, Ross. Maybe. I think that film... I just wanted to... But, but the, <laughs> oh, Ross. It's not. Ross, the, the, nah. these are the same guys that rate Paid in Full. But anyway. Oh, no, man. Paid in Full is fine. That's crazy. Yeah, it's I just a Paid in Full's rather. Paid in Full's this show. This show's sick. I think I've even probably forgotten it was, it was about the multiverse, but yeah, no, one point I was going to make, one last point, was the fact that with these superhero films, and even in other ideas that have tried to use a multiverse, it, it tends to be a thing of like, character meets character or characters that knew them in this world, and or they are them in this world, and they know how to improve, and that's it. It's a contrast of improving and the fact that this character had to take this one route to get there and that character had to take that route to get there. It's like with the Flash and the two opposing barriers. It was interesting yeah. dynamic because you had the two constant throughout and it's unlike um, the Doctor Strange where you got to see like two, three different versions. And so considering that, it's like what else can you really do with a multiversal story unless through that super a superhero lens unless you're just showing the contrast of like powers and the contrast of how they've overcome these situations yeah. I guess the best direction for them to go in would be the Kang Dynasty story and the stories that directly revolve around the multiverse at least then there's a concrete kind of plan and composure around it but when you have the aimlessness of like a a flash and you have nothing that comes after it it's like it's very baffling it loses the point like why did you show me all of these different scenes if i'm not going to get this anymore yeah unless it's just that's an indication of them being able to draw back from it in the future which i don't think yeah. they will no they, they won't because the film's failed miserably um mm -hmm. at the box office unless it becomes some sort of like 
juggernaut in cult cinema, which it probably won't do. Warner yeah. Brothers are going to lose a shitload of money. They're not going to make any of that back. So that's kind of dead in the water. And, you know, and I, I, again, it's the same thing, like, with that kind of genre of movie anyway. And that's like, again, James Gunn complaining that they're all boring, they're all the same. It's kind of because they have to be. They have a template. They have, like, a blueprint of here's what a typical story is. And even his reboot for the DCEU, you might get better movies that are more enjoyable to sit through, but they're still going to be the same because you have to have... You know, the blueprint is the same. Bad guy shows up, hero versus bad guy, hero wins, someone dies, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's, it is unfortunately just the same thing. You're not, you're not going to get past that. And, you know, I just think... speaking on that, the news just before we kind of went on air, the fact that he's cast Superman as David Cornsweat or Cornsweat. That's a nasty name, I can't lie. <laughs> it's a terrible oh, wow. name. He's going to have to change that name. But David Cornsweat, I'm going to call him How can Corn you Sweat. name me okay. D Corn Sweat? How can you look at your child and say, "Yeah, your name's going to be D Corn Sweat"? That's okay, okay you know what? Fair enough. He's, he's got the typical Superman face. He looks like Superman. I'm not but feeling also, Lois Lane though. But also, that's white privilege because in another day, Ross, when he's hench, he could look like Superman. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, true. <laughs> Ross without hay fever. Yeah, you could cast him. Yeah. Maybe that hippie girl taking Zod on no problem. And my name is not Corn Sweat. <laughs> Corn Sweat is a nasty name. And it's the fact yeah. that his initials D, man. That's pissing me off. If that movie sucks as well, you know they're just going to call him a sweaty boy. I mean, <laughs> just, that's it. Career's done. I He's don't think, his name. I, I don't think James Bond is going to fail the DC. I think... I don't think he will. I him, think he's too uh, good. Them getting oh, yeah. him a big, big, big step up, man. <laughs> he's Suicide Squad. He's Pacemaker. What he did with Marvel, all of it is too good. Like I, I think, didn't even. I, I think even, he can I make them. Suicide you Squad, you know. Suicide Squad. He's the second Suicide Squad. The first one is in my bottom three films of all time. Like I genuinely think it's one of the worst films ever made. It's, so, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. It's, yeah, it is. It's it's fast, 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 fast. Fast 10 I've not watched Fast 10. I've not watched Fast 10, so that could be true. But I'll never know. I guess we'll never know. Uh, The second Suicide Squad, though, is crazy shit. No, not crazy shit, sorry. Crazy good, sorry. Like, compared to what it is, and the way it sets up a pacemaker is fantastic. Like, I think Gunn can build them to be a force. But what's annoying is the whole point of a multiverse story like Flashpoint is Flashpoint was supposed to be a reset for the comics so they could start again. They had Flashpoint story right there in the, the film of The Flash and they didn't even use it as a way to reboot the DCU. Like, but you were going to do it anyway. It like, the story was literally right there. Like, it was actually right there, written for you. It's been out for 20 years, 25 years. You could have just finished it off and then used the end of the film to go into it and they just didn't. And I'm just like, bro, why are you wasting all of this great source material? Because they're not, they can't really do Flashpoint again for another 20, 25 years now. So... That's Warner Brothers, baby. <laughs> well, we've got one more thing we've got to do before we get out of here. Because uh, I need to see. Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, no. Oh, fucking I forgot no. about this. I forgot about this. Did you guys see the link I posted in the, yeah. in the chat? Because yeah, everyone yeah, yeah, signed yeah. up. So, for the listener, can someone explain? Yeah. Yeah. We're doing a new thing where one of us is going to get punished. So, we're going to draw we're gonna online get straws. And whoever spent. is the unfortunate soul to pick the short straw this week is going to have to sit and watch The Idol with The weekend. This is going to be so shit. Depp. 
Abel Tesve. Abel Tesve. Oh my god, oh, yeah, I saw. Go I, I, I saw. I saw one of the scenes where he's in like the store. It's like you fucking touch her. You fucking touch her again. And I was like, <laughs> I fucking this? curb stomp you. I was yeah. That's what I was like, bro. I was like, brother in Christ. I was like, you have just made two of the best albums since your first albums. Like, why have you done this? <laughs> like, it doesn't make sense. That whole scene we talked about this last week. It looks like he's trying to remember his lines, and like he's stuttering halfway through because he just doesn't know what his line is. I'm sending so if I get the short straw, I'm quitting. But yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna feel now. sick. I'm not. Gonna I don't do know what to say. Also, can we just set the parameters? If you lose, because it's only five episodes, are we saying you have to watch all five episodes? Yeah. Yeah. That's we need madness. a full review. Yeah, we need a full madness. review by next episode. We have to I might do. just not put my name in. I don't know if it's worth no, it. No, you have to. What do you mean? What do you mean? Yeah, no, you're here. I can see it. You're here. I'm screen recording uh, the thing. <laughs> can I change my name to Scully? <laughs> I'm oh, not right. watching it. I'm yeah. so scared. I'm terrified. <laughs> <laughs> I feel sick. This is annoying. <laughs> I really don't want to do this. Like, oh. Now time's coming. I'm actually thinking how busy I am. And I'm like, actually, I'm really going to have to devote five hours to watch this shit film. All right. Uh, Everyone's I'm in. Pissed off. I'm pissed off already. Rain's going to be short. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. I've, I can't no. done this. I can't. Oh! <laughs> ah, Ross! This is true. Yeah! 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 Are you dumb? Are you mad? Oh, God. Hey, hold on, hold on. Hold that, hold that there. Hold that there. I, hold that there. Hold I, that I, there. I hold that there. Hold that there. Hold that there. Hold that there. Hold Hold it, Ross. Sorry, man. Hold it. I'm sorry, bro. You're right. I'm terrified. <laughs> what have I got to do it? Do you no, know what's scary? I didn't have round. to spend five round. hours. No, there's no practice, practice round. Bro. I can't lie. I didn't I understand the rules. Has... No, I didn't <laughs> understand <laughs> the rules. Fuck off. Fuck off. Yo. Hey, that is I... Oh, this is going to be horrible. And the funny thing is, I'm actually working all weekend, so I was like, I'm actually not going to have five hours to watch the show. Five. I was going to have to do a crap. I was going to have to call into the office sick or leave early next week and just be like, yeah, I need to uh, go watch five hours. <laughs> oh, Sam Levin's still in the no, That's not right? going out to motives because he's watching the idol. We will end up proper hating the weekend. <laughs> no, oh, never be my, I don't know when I'm going to... I've got to spend my nights watching this. Hey man, I'm actually angry. Don't watch me. How am I meant to go to sleep? I'm actually going to be living. No, listen. I don't don't know what you're doing. You should be on Now TV right now. I don't know. I don't know what you're trying to play. Oh no, no, Russ, Russ, Russ. If you need, if you need Now TV, I got you. I got it. You ain't getting out of this. You ain't out of this. Sink. So everything I watch is like. There's like a split second delay between the audio and the visual. Uh, so brother, not only have I got to watch the idol, I've got to watch it at sync. Don't worry, oh, I'll I will give you my I'm now pissed. TV password. I'm don't pissed. worry. <laughs> Let's pay extra attention. I know, I know a place you can watch it online. Listen, Ross, don't worry. There's so many other ways you can watch it. Yeah, don't worry about it. Being out of sync. No, we'll make sure it's nice and crispy. Don't tell me. 4K. Don't tell me. Yeah. Don't tell me. I don't like it crispy. <laughs> I don't like it crispy. <laughs> Four twenty. We can probably says that. He probably says that at some point. You like fucking crispy, don't you? You like fucking. Well, you guys. Next time I see you, I'm gonna fucking curb stomp all you. 
<laughs> oh my god, you know what I can't wait for oh, Russ's running commentary in the group chat, man. Fuck you know. Please tell me when you start it. Tell me when you start it. That is hilarious, man. Big up you, man. Thanks. Thanks for taking one for the team. And guys, <laughs> I'm short. <laughs> guys, I'm so- listen, guys, I'm sorry for that rocky start. But yo, listen, the ending was worth it. We are not classist in this on the show. I, I am. I'm, I'm up, care. baby. I'm up, baby. Jude's okay. up as well, blood. He's got gold teeth. What the hell? Come on. I had okay. gold teeth. I lost both of them. <laughs> That's both when I lost both of them, my bank account just depleted at the same I, time. I feel like so CJ just accidentally extra. mocked you. This is oh, yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't mean that, Jude. I love you so much. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, you, you just moved. Don't nuts. worry. Scully will be down soon as well. I saw everything that's on gang and them. All right. The keep throwing up sand. The only way is nah, up. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> Everyone's going to be up. Because you know why? We're going to be at Cannes Advertising Festival next year, baby. And Film Festival. No, not the advertising. <laughs> no, <laughs> we need, no. No. Hey, we want to be at the advertising festival, bro. Charlemagne yeah. was there. Me and Charlemagne had a good conversation. <laughs> All right. Then there you go. Oh, man. On that note, we are out. Play the fool. We'll see you next week. Let Ross, I need that review. You. Love. Yeah, let us know what you want us to talk about next week because a lot of you on Twitter keep saying, "Oh, I'm watching this part, and this is a good like like keep that coming, please." Thank you. Yeah, trust me. No, I love my guys. It was fun. Oh, here goes. Sports Social Podcast Network.